Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Supreme, the highest podcast for the American courts. My name is Lillian, and today we'll be talking about a Supreme Court case very near and dear to my heart, Romer v. Evans. As Romer is a case surrounding issues of queer rights and taking place during the late 1990s, the cultural perspective surrounding LGBTQ people is just as important as the contents of the case itself. With the success of the early gay liberation movement in the 60s and 70s, some of the gains made from the movement expanded themselves into the early 90s. However, with just as many success stories of fighting discrimination, there were equally as many cases of people, corporations, and all levels of government tolerating or promoting homophobia. Simply, the gains that were being made at a grassroots level were not enough to combat the established prejudices against LGBTQ people in American society. Obviously, not everything was sunshine and rainbows for queer rights in the late 20th century, or even to today if we're being honest. One of the hot-button cases proving the homophobia of the time came all the way from classic Colorado. Before Colorado was known for its 420 granola hiking vibes, Colorado had a few social issues that marred the state's reputation. In this case, it was a new amendment introduced to the Colorado State Constitution, which was so lovingly dubbed Amendment 2. Amendment 2 was pretty straightforward. It banned any state or local legislation from being passed that would provide protections for LGBTQ people. Like, at all. The reasoning? LGBTQ people aren't considered a protected class, and thus, an amendment was needed to deny them from getting special protections that would give them an unfair advantage over cishet people. More importantly, the amendment was also supposed to quote-unquote prevent the deterioration of sexual morality, like that wasn't already going to shit in the 90s. Understandably so, many people were upset with this new amendment and brought a case against it which eventually made it all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. And thus, the case of Romer v. Evans was born. Before getting into the actual legal nuances of the case itself, it's critical to understand who exactly is writing the verdict. While the case is an enigma on its own, the judge who authored the opinion is just as much of a paradox. Justice Anthony Kennedy is a well-known figure across the court as being a swing vote. He never fully aligned himself with the conservative values that came with his nomination from President Ronald Reagan in 1987. Where Kennedy drew a distinction between himself and the other conservative justices on the court was his perspective on personal liberties. Kennedy's hot take of his tenure on the bench was that the Constitution is inclusive and protective of people's rights to basically do what they want, whereas most other conservative justices preferred to promote their own impositions on what people should do and were more rigid in their legal rhetoric. Because of his unique viewpoint, Kennedy was in a particularly important position to influence the result of Romer. Moreover, his appeals to both ideologies on a traditionally liberal topic gave him the opportunity to be selected as the author for this critical opinion. Keeping in mind Justice Kennedy's conservative bias, the reasoning given in the court's decision begins to take form. 
The court finds that Colorado designated LGBTQ people as a solitary class by specifically mentioning them in Amendment 2 and denying them further protection. However, because of the specifics of this amendment, there's no way for this newly defined additional class to seek protections from the government, both legislatively and in the courts. Thus, under the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause, there is an unfair burden placed on LGBTQ people to defend themselves in anti-discrimination lawsuits, and overall, is not providing them equal protection under the law. Bars homosexuals from securing protection against the injuries that these public accommodation laws address. It also nullifies specific protections for gays in housing, insurance, health and welfare services, private education and employment, and forbids all laws or policies providing specific protection for gays or lesbians from discrimination by any level of Colorado's government. We cannot accept the view that Amendment 2 only deprives homosexuals of special rights. No matter how local or discreet the harm they may suffer, no matter how public or widespread the injury, they can obtain protection from the laws only by enlisting the citizenry of Colorado to amend the state constitutions, or perhaps, on the state's view, by trying to pass helpful laws of general applic applicability. The protections that Amendment 2 denies to homosexuals are taken for granted by most people, either because they already have them or do not need them. They are protections against exclusion from an almost limitless number of transactions that constitute ordinary civic life in a free society. We, we have held that if a law neither burdens a fundamental right nor targets a suspect class, we will uphold the legislative classification so long as it bears a rational relation to some legitimate end. Amendment 2, however, classifies homosexuals not to further a proper legislative end, but to make them unequal to everyone else. This Colorado cannot do. As Justice Kennedy so lovingly put it himself, Colorado's amendment is unfairly putting burdens on LGBTQ people that just don't need to be there. Yet, probably the funniest aspect of this ruling comes from the court's analysis of Colorado's argument that Amendment 2 prevents, quote-unquote, the deterioration of sexual morality. When it comes to this aspect, the court ruled that this is not a clear goal. Under both rational basis and intermediate scrutiny, sexual morality was ruled as being just a bit too broad to be upheld in the highest court. And it was ruled too dumb for even the courts to care about. On the surface, this decision seems like a major win for the LGBTQ community. More rights? Who wouldn't want that? Unfortunately, the Supreme Court is never that nice when it comes to helping out oppressed communities. There's always some sort of catch when it comes to the government. Essentially, due to the expansive nature of the ruling in Romer, many lower courts had the opportunity to intentionally misinterpret what the decision mandated with little to no consequences. Since the court decided to rule based on a rational basis test, the least comprehensive way of analyzing an equal protection case, and didn't directly state LGBTQ people were now protected, other courts were able to easily uphold homophobic legislation. By not giving heightened scrutiny for one LGBTQ case, SCOTUS opened the door for lesser protection under the law to ensue on all other levels. Even more problematically, the Defense of Marriage Act was also passed the same year that Romer was decided, which gave states the opportunity to define marriage as solely between a man and a woman and refuse marriage rights to same-sex couples. 
clearly, the other two branches of the federal government were not pretending to be as progressive as the Supreme Court during this time period. But not all was lost with the negative side effects of this decision. Remember, Romer was still one of the first LGBTQ cases brought up this high in the legal system. And frankly, any affirmative ruling is better than the alternative, even if it isn't perfect. decision still is, is really only a first step. Um, our friend and colleague Linda Greenhouse wrote in the New York Times that this is a shield for gay rights, but not a sword. And it was a good analogy because basically what she was saying is that you couldn't put special disabilities or special burdens on gays, but they also were not entitled to special rights. And that was a distinction that was being drawn. It's still a very open question whether the court will now reverse the, um, uh, the ban or the, the administration policy on gays in the military because it's still a very open question. And the court could say, look, this is a legitimate purpose uh, because of unit cohesion and other things. What they're saying was the Colorado thing was not legitimate. So, even if the ruling in Romer didn't operate as a sword for the queer liberation movement to wield, there were still things to be excited about in this ruling. Firstly, people were extremely hyped that a traditionally conservative justice voted in favor of LGBTQ rights. Kennedy's landmark decision proved that it was possible to sway conservatives to more liberal social ideologies, which allowed for renowned vigor in the gay liberation movement. Even if Kennedy wasn't the best judge for future progressive issues, he was still able to cement himself as enough to vote progressively on critical social issues. On a more recent note, the decision in Romer was also the basis for some justices' analyses in Obergefell v. Hodges, the Supreme Court case that legalized same-sex marriage in 2015. Despite not being the most ideal case to promote queer rights, the implications Romer v. Evans had on society so rooted in heteronormativity were enormous and still mirror struggles faced by LGBTQ people today. Looking to the recent nomination of Amy Coney Barrett, a judge with established rulings with a sole basis in her religious views and intolerance of the LGBTQ community, fears of cases like Obergefell being overturned are at an all-time high. Yet, just as Romer has shown us today, the actions of the court, while important, are not the end-all be-all for the movement for queer liberation. The court only has power insofar as we give it power, thus allowing for actors, both good and bad, to act in opposition to the court's rulings. The court may be the place that hinders people's ability to leave, live freely, but they will never prevent the opportunity to live transgressively against the established norms. Until next time, this is Supreme.